Hi, I'm Evan Duncan, the senior pastor of the Baptist Church of Westchester in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad you found our podcast channel. On it, we share our weekly messages, and from time to time, you'll see some other things as well. If you want to learn more about our church or see how you can contact us, visit bcwc.org. I want to read the Luke passage from Palm Sunday this morning. This is Luke 19, 29-36. When Jesus had come near Bethpage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord needs it. And then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. I'm curious how you feel about parades. This church here has a long history of participating in a Christmas parade. I got to do it this year for the first time. I know you love parades around here. Uh, The first home that Brittany and I rented after we got married, we happened to be on a parade route, a Christmas parade route. The problem was I forgot. I always would forget that we lived on the parade route, and this house backed up to some railroad tracks, and so there was really only one way to get to it. And so at the end of my workday, every Christmas while we lived in that house, I would start heading home and realize, I cannot get home. I would call Brittany and say, well, I guess I'll be home in three or four hours. See ya. Luckily, this was before we had children, or she would have said, find a place to park and you will walk. (laughs) I think we may feel sometimes about parades, this parade, this Palm Sunday, maybe like I did, grumpy. (laughs) Why are we doing this? Why are we waving branches? Have you seen how hard it is to park around here? (laughs) Is all this branch waving just a distraction from reality? Don't these people in the story celebrating, don't they become an angry mob? (laughs) Won't we leave this place and just get back to real life? Maybe we ask, does Christianity make a difference? Can it? Can we? Is it worth it? Or is this just a show? This week I found this story in the Gospel of Luke, so helpful for me. It mattered for me. It made a difference for me. And so today, I just want to share with you why. After this dusty pilgrimage towards Jerusalem, Jesus and his followers crest the Mount of Olives. And this mountain was a lush oasis after a dry and difficult journey overlooking the valley where Jerusalem is nestled. Here, Jesus sends some of his followers to go get this donkey. And I love this little episode. Because somehow the owner of the donkey cooperates. Somehow Jesus, knowing all things, knows the donkey will be there. My favorite part of the whole story is that in its original language, the word that we translate as the owner of the donkey is the same word as Lord. And so it says, they go and the Lord of the donkey says, what are you doing only for the disciples to say, you may be the Lord of the donkey, but the Lord needs this. I don't know what you are the Lord of in your life, 
but there is a higher Lord, and that's a different sermon. But Luke wants us to see that Jesus is king, not just over an area or a region, not just over Jerusalem, but over all things. And Jesus enters into the city. Now, this type of entry into the city for a king was a typical thing that would happen. It has all the identifiers of a classic ruler coming into a city. Jerusalem was no stranger to this sort of thing, a political or military victor riding into town. In fact, we have an account of when Alexander the Great came into Jerusalem as a victor years before. It's pretty similar, but there are some key differences. See, the first is that Jesus comes not on a horse, but a lowly donkey. Fulfilling what Karen read earlier from Zechariah, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. And we could stop with the passage right there in verse 9, content with our humble Jesus riding on the donkey, but verse 10 tells us more about this kind of king. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, the war horse from Jerusalem, the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. Traditionally, the parades of some kind of military victor would come after some kind of violent military conquest to give honor to some guy on a horse. We still think like this in our world. If you go visit any city in Europe, at the center of that town, you will find a statue of some guy on a horse. Our world celebrates the strong and the conquering, those who took over and pushed others out, who used violence and power to control and get what they want. That was the way of Rome. It was the way of Alexander the Great. It's the way of our broken world still. Even the way of our history. Theologian and writer Walter Wink says, violence is the ethos of our times. It's the spirituality of the modern world. It has been accorded the status of a religion, demanding from its devotees an absolute obedience to death, violence. Not Christianity. It's the real religion of America. See the difference. Jesus comes to command peace. He says, cutting off the war horse and the chariot and the battle bow, not just of the enemies, but the prophet Zechariah says, even of Ephraim, Jerusalem, the people of God, a God who will rule by humility, love, and peace. This story is unlike the stories that came before it. We have a new king, Jesus, cutting off war horses and chariots, bows rolling in, not in a on a stallion, but on a colt of a donkey, not on a tank, but a tricycle, who will command peace to the nations. See, God is fixing what has been messed up way back in the garden, finally doing something about evil and pain and violence and death and hopelessness. It's enough to make the people sing, and so they do. It's enough to make me want to sing this morning. Jesus' entry shows us that a different kind of king is reigning, and that matters to us. It matters to me that the other kind of power that we're used to doesn't win in the end. It matters. 
And Jesus' entry into the city also shows us a different kind of people are welcome. I want to keep reading. This is Luke 19, 37 through 38. And as he was approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began praising God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. Glory in the highest heaven." The whole multitude of the disciples began to praise. Perhaps at Christmas time, you remember a similar language was used. Luke is quoting himself. The whole multitude. That's how the angels were described, praising Christ at his birth. Now, it's not angels, but Jesus' followers. Unlike the other gospel accounts, Luke doesn't focus on the outside crowds, He doesn't mention palm branches at all or the words Hosanna. See, Luke is writing to mostly non-Jewish readers who would not have benefited from the associations that palms and Hosanna had to do with the Jewish way of worship. Instead, he has us focus on the disciples, dropping their cloaks and quoting Psalm 118. Blessed is the King. When we imagine this scene, or we've seen it acted out before, Maybe you've seen it in like a church play or something, right? I don't know how you imagine people laying down their cloaks. Maybe their, their best Sunday best outfit. Maybe, maybe as you picture the church plays that you've seen, they're made out of curtains, right? <laughs> but the cloaks that Luke describes belong to people who were rough around the edges. The cloaks set before the king were beaten and tattered. They were cloaks of people who had been possessed by evil and healed. People who had been blind or couldn't walk and asked Jesus to heal them and then they were healed. They're the cloaks of beggars. They're the cloaks of a woman who bled for 18 years. Ex-fishermen. Ex-tax collectors. Ex-prostitutes. Can you imagine the scene? Jesus riding into town on a donkey. All these goofy-looking, shirts-untucked, hair-uncombed people (laughs) singing from the Psalms. Luke is almost making fun of the parades of the great victorious military kings. (laughs) Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. Glory in the highest heavens. Jesus' entry shows a different kind of people are welcome. We only get a small quote, but any time the Bible quotes a psalm, the speakers likely have the whole psalm in their mind, right? If we begin to sing the first line of amazing grace, your mind will fill in the rest. So they quote Psalm 118, and I want to share some other bits of that psalm likely on their mind, where it's like, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. When hard-pressed, I cry to the Lord, he brought me to the spacious place, It's better to take refuge in the Lord than trust in humans. Better to take refuge in the Lord than trust in princes. These people sing, we don't trust in kings or politicians who marched in here before, but in the Lord. We aren't scared of the leaders or the people in power or what our relatives might say about us because we follow this Jesus in this way. The chorus of people who are so used to being ignored or rejected are hushed and they sing. We talk about unbiased hospitality here at BCWC. This is unbiased hospitality. A different kind of people are welcome. 
And that matters to me. And it matters to all of us in a world that's so hostile and violent and cruel. The king welcomes everybody and means it. And I believe, and this is where the story gets wild, that Jesus' entry shows us a different kind of future is possible. So this is Luke 19, 39 and 40. Some of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day in the crowd, said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. And Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. Now, it's no wonder that the religious leaders of the day who were connected to the political system of Rome, they were happy with the freedom that they had been given. They were happy with the power that they had cozying up with the empire. So they said, Jesus, can you keep it down? See, people in power are always telling people that look like Jesus' followers in this gospel to be quiet. See, the Pharisees believe in peace, but it's a false peace. Rome itself had declared a Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. It was a promise that they would keep everybody free and safe, and they would do it, or else you'd get the sword. <laughs> They'd do it as long as you stayed in line and followed their rules. And the Pharisees are scared that if real hope gets into the minds of those who've been pushed down by their religious system or by the politics of the day, they might lose power. These people might mess everything up. They might mess with the status quo. Theologian Justo Gonzalez gives us this great insight into the story when he says the main point of the story is that Jerusalem does not know the things that make for peace. It has the wrong idea about what peace is and what brings it about. The Pharisees who have urged Jesus to stop the acclamation he is receiving are prime examples of not knowing the things that make for peace. They're so afraid of what Rome might do, they cannot see what God is doing. Rome offers its famous Pax Romana, and in their defense of this false peace, the Pharisees, and with them all the religious leadership of Jerusalem, are ready to ignore the things that make for real peace. But Jesus refuses to silence his followers. They've been voiceless long enough. I tell you, if they're silent, the stones would shout out, Jesus says. Now you've got to be thinking, what? <laughs> this must be hyperbole. Stones can't talk. What are you up to, Jesus? Well, there are lots of times in the scriptures when things that shouldn't have a voice get one. When nature acts in a strange way, I think about the time a donkey talked in the Old Testament, or, or maybe when a star appeared to announce that Jesus was born. We even see glimpses of this in our own experience of nature, surprising things, like how trees communicate about danger and disease through fungi networks. Or I brought this video from NASA where they amplify the noise that comes from a black hole. Check this out. Can we play that video? That was pretty awesome. They released that last August. But can stones speak? I mean, really. But when I think about this, more than anything, I think of something a friend and fellow pastor, Kendall Rothis, points out about the first time that the ground spoke. It happened back in Genesis. It's very close to the beginning of all things, Genesis 4. You know the creation story, Adam and Eve sin and rebel. The whole creation faces the consequences. God says, cursed is the ground. 
because of human rebellion. Because they thought the whole thing was about us and they tried to be gods. We do that too. How's that work out? And so the sickness of sin curdles and it curdles in the heart of their son Cain. So he was jealous of his brother and all the attention he had received, so he killed him. It only takes us four chapters. (laughs) Four chapters for murder to show up. Cain says, how am I supposed to? Cain says, where's your brother? God says to Cain, where's your brother Abel? And Cain says, how am I supposed to know? Because, Because he's so good at being defensive. And then the Lord says this in Genesis 4, 10 and 11. The Lord says, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the earth, from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. God says your brother's blood cries out from the earth. That Hebrew word, dirt, Adama, same dirt that God made humanity from Adam. That word also has this connotation of a red color to it. The Hebrew people may have even been insinuating in these stories that the earth itself was stained with the violence of humanity. There's been this entire history and the whole time the earth has been tinged red and the stones cry out to be restored that the earth might be fixed. The things could be like they're supposed to be again when God would walk with his people, when lions could take naps with lambs, when nobody took advantage of anybody. (laughs) The violence was over. Another echo in Jesus' words uh, remind us of the prophets. Habakkuk. You don't read from Habakkuk very often, but Habakkuk calls out a greedy people who've protected themselves in fancy houses while other people suffer. The prophet says that the houses they built on the backs of others, the very stones they pulled from the earth to build their homes, will say something Habakkuk. In Habakkuk 2.11, the very stones will cry out from the walls and the plaster will respond from the woodwork. I love the prophets. It's as if this world that God created was corrupted in the very ground. Yearns for a savior as much as we do. Jesus says, the stones will cry out. And God will hear. Just like God heard the earth beneath Cain. Paul in Romans 8 writes something really profound about the earth and God's people joining in in the choir while we groan in hope. Romans 8, 19. It says, for creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be set free from bondage to decay, will obtain freedom of glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. Not only creation, but we ourselves, who have been the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, redemption of our body. I imagine the groans might sound something like that black hole. I felt that inward groaning like a black hole in my chest. I told you I'd tell you why the story has helped me. This week's been hard for me. As we face news of another shooting in a school, six people were murdered, three were children. One was the daughter of a pastor. 
And that doesn't make it more special or anything, but it makes it a little bit different for me. And I'm tired. I'm tired of a world and a country where violence is our God. I yearn for the king of peace, to bring peace, where the people of God help do something to, to bring peace. A family member was taking uh, his daughter shopping. She in, was in kindergarten at the time. They were picking out shoes, and she said, I don't want to get light-up shoes. He said, why not? Because then maybe a shooter would find them. Gun-related incidents are now the leading cause of death for children 1 to 18 in the United States. It's been a hard week for me. So I've wrapped my mind around this and reflect and thought about waving palm branches. But as Jesus came into Jerusalem, it was a hard week for him too. And the Pharisees say, don't upset the cart, don't mess with anything, don't mess with what we've got, be quiet. And Jesus says, if if my followers are silent, the stones will cry out. Because God is doing something. God is walking the earth. And finally, salvation and hope is coming, and it is ours. So this morning, we passed out branches. Not to pretend, but to resist. Because we follow a king of peace in a world of violence. To use our voices, our possessions, our palm branches, and the palms of our hands to join in as representatives of a new kingdom and a new future. Where a new king reigns and a new people are welcome, where a new future is possible, even breaking in now. And in a few days after this story that we read about here in Luke, the earth will speak again. Kendall Rothes says this, in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus breathes his last, the earth shake and the rocks split. Having been around for ages, the stones could sense that even now, in the darkest hour, Jesus was altering the course of things. He wasn't giving in or giving up. He was giving himself into the suffering, entering death freely in audacious solidarity with the broken. Was the earth opening that day in order to receive the blood of our Savior as it mixed with the spilt blood of all the Abels before him? It was a dark and terrible hour indeed, but the earth knew it couldn't possibly be the end, could it? Were the rocks splitting in agony or in protest or both? Did they emit a terrible sound when they cracked? Could God the Father stand to listen? Did God's own voice join the wail? And then next Sunday, next Sunday we will celebrate as another rock is moved. This time the boulder in front of a tomb rolled away. Jesus emerges alive, brings salvation to the world, and it has to matter. It matters to me that a different future is possible, yes, in eternity, but also around us now, where we can be freed from sin and death and fear, our own failures, find salvation in Christ, and be empowered to use our voices. to celebrate a king who offers real peace. Where a new future comes, how will we respond? If the rocks won't be silent about the king of peace, how can we? 
So I want to challenge you this Holy Week with a few things. And I put them in this order on purpose. I'm going to challenge you to read, to listen, and then to speak. We like to start with the speak, but I'm going to challenge you to read and listen first. Last week, I challenged you to read the Gospel of Luke before Easter. If you're behind, that's okay. If you didn't do it, that's okay. This week, I'm going to challenge you just to read Luke 19 through 24. Right? That's, that's a small amount. Do it for Holy Week. And then as you read and you think and you pray and you reflect, what is the King of Peace saying to you? Finally, use your voice. Shout like the stones. What might God be calling you to do with your voice? For the sake of our world, for the sake of someone else. As we close our time together, I invite the deacons to come forward for communion and and let us pray together. God, for those dealing with all of the challenges in our world, things like tornadoes and loss from senseless shootings, for those even in our community dealing with illness, physical, mental, those hurting and spread too thin, Lord, thank you that those are the exact kind of people who came into Jerusalem with you. Thank you, Lord, that you are a different kind of king who invites everybody and is beginning a whole new kind of future. Lord, may you use us, the people of BCWC, to join in. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Church of Westchester podcast. If you have questions, want to connect, or are looking for ways that you can support God's work at this church, visit bcwc.org. And as you go, through whatever your day may throw at you, I want to share this blessing with you. May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you in the wilderness, protect you in the storms. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Go and be the church.